Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church. Hope you had a great week and have had a good day to start the, the week so far. Hopefully you've grabbed your coffee, you're sitting on the couch, and you're ready to receive from God. We want to welcome you, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. We're so glad that you're here today, and I believe that God has a word for you. Amen? So if you're ready to receive God's word and God's truth today, right where you're at, I want you to just say, I'm ready to receive, and I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to drop something in your heart this morning. We're in part nine of our I Got the Joy series, where we are going through the letter of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And uh, we're almost finished with our journey. We are starting chapter number four today. And so uh, we're going to be looking at verses one through nine. But to start, I want to read verse number four together. Philippians four and verse number four. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would anoint this word, use it for your glory, and I just pray that you would speak to our hearts today and change us and transform us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've mentioned several times throughout this series, the main theme of Paul's letter is joy. And here he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and then he repeats it for emphasis. The Greek language in which Paul originally wrote this letter in, it did not have capital letters. And so if Paul wanted to emphasize something, he couldn't just hit caps lock or send an emoji. So back then, if an author wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat it. So Paul here is emphasizing the fact that we must rejoice in the Lord. When Paul exhorted the Philippian believers to rejoice in the Lord, he was not penning these words from the comfort of his study or while sitting on the beach somewhere in the Caribbean. If you remember, Paul penned these words while being chained to a, a Roman soldier 24 hours a day in prison. He penned these words while not knowing whether he was going to die that day in that prison with rats and insects crawling all around him, Paul had the joy of Jesus, which was not dependent on his outward circumstances. Paul could have joy whether all was going well, some was going well, or none was going well. And during this time in Paul's life in prison, I would say that not a lot was going well for him, but he had Jesus, so he had joy. It's interesting that people with the best outward conditions and comforts, seem to have the most difficult time being joyful. Have you noticed that? I heard a Christian apologist this week say that most of their questions that they receive about why God would allow pain and suffering here on this earth come from people who experience the least amount of suffering in the world. Pretty ironic, right? But Paul had the joy of the Lord and wanted to spread that joy to his beloved brothers and sisters in Philippi. 
Joy is something that all believers can and should possess. However, there are what I call joy killers that try and keep us from experiencing the full joy of Jesus in our lives. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that the thief, which is another way of uh, another name for the devil, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have abundant life. Some of us are allowing the thief to come in and steal, kill, and destroy the joy that God wants to pour into our hearts. In our passage for today, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, Paul mentions two joy killers that I want to highlight for us. And so let's go ahead and start reading in verse number 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Sintike to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse number six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The two joy killers we see in this passage here are unresolved conflict and anxiety. So the first one, unresolved conflict. How many of you have had conflict with someone either in person or on social media since the pandemic started, either over the coronavirus situation or how you see racism in our country, or maybe both. Put a hands up emoji or just put, I have, if you've had a conflict with someone since the pandemic has started. I want to hear from you. I don't know about a conflict, but I've definitely had some strong conversations with people since the pandemic started that we don't see eye to eye on. They're just some issues they're completely on the other side of and some we just kind of disagree with. But I've had plenty of conversations since the pandemic started about the coronavirus and about how we see race in our country. Uh, How many of you haven't only had a conflict during the season, but your friendship with someone has actually changed because of it? You're not close anymore, or you don't talk anymore. It's just awkward between you two. Maybe you're acting like everything is okay, but you're harboring bitterness towards someone in your heart. Maybe you're fighting thoughts of anger, pain, or hurt towards someone over all of this. The overall tone of our nation right now is one of division, fighting, and contention. But as Christians, we must have a different tone. Amen? 
it's worth noting that when you read the New Testament epistles, you have to understand that these letters were originally written to specific churches in the first century, okay? When Paul wrote these letters, he did not know at that time, I don't believe he knew that they were going to be a part of the Bible. He was just writing letters to specific churches, trying to deal with issues, trying to encourage the believers. And, but, but the Holy Spirit had another plan, and the Holy Spirit w- was anointing Paul to, to, to write this. Uh, and, and the Holy Spirit, God knew that this was going to be Scripture. But Paul was writing to specific churches in the first century. And parts of these letters were written to specific people in those churches, as we see in verse number 2. Paul is addressing uh, two women in the Philippian church who have had a falling out with one another, uh, Euodia and Sintika, okay? We're not told exactly what they have been fighting about, but it was bad enough to cause division in the church and for Paul to include this in his letter to the church. One of the trickiest jobs of a pastor is conflict mediation between two congregants. Uh, it could be two individuals at odds with one another, or it could be two families at odds with one another. And the chances are someone is going to leave the church because of hurt feelings. And maybe both parties are going to leave the church because of hurt feelings. The difficult thing about this situation as a pastor is that you probably have nothing to do with the conflict at all, but you're brought into it because you're a pastor and they're both a part of your church. And although you have nothing to do with the conflict, if you say something wrong, the anger, the vitriol, the rage will be turned right against you. It's not a fun position to be in. One family might think that you stood up for the, un- the other family more than them. Or maybe as you're trying to point out something to someone, maybe you're pointing out maybe something that they could do differently. Maybe they get offended at you and all of that anger just gets turned towards you. And you had nothing to do with the conflict in the first place. It's a very difficult position to be in. But this is what Paul was dealing with. What is probably going on here is that these two women had already tried to patch things up on their own, but they couldn't. It wasn't working. So Paul felt the need to bring this conflict up to the church to get extra help resolving the issue. One of the greatest joy killers is when we have unresolved conflict with someone else, especially if it's a brother or sister in the faith. How many of you have experienced the joy killing power of unresolved conflict with someone. It can cause sleepless nights, right? It can cause dread when thinking about going to work if that unresolved conflict is is one of your coworkers or or it's your boss. Uh, It can cause you to not speak to a family member for years because you have unresolved conflict. It can cause divorces and marriages. It can create division between parents and children. Uh, Countless church splits have been caused because of unresolved conflict. When I was a youth pastor, I experienced unresolved conflict with folks in our church, and and it lasted a really, really long time. I mean, not months, you, you know, it lasted over a year, and it caused me sleepless nights. It caused me a feeling of dread when I when I was going to work. And, and just so much tension and stress and awkwardness. I, I really just, I really disliked that season of my life. 
the longer you allow conflict to go without dealing with it, the more opportunity you give to the enemy to have a foothold in your life. And when the enemy has a foothold, he can tempt you with attitudes and actions and behaviors that you never thought possible. Bitterness, hatred, and evil thoughts can start to eat you alive. Pain and woundedness can cause you to isolate yourself from others. Instead of dealing with the conflict, you decide to isolate yourself and not talk to anybody. We talked about forgetting the past and looking forward towards the finish line last week. Unresolved conflict causes us to use sideways energy instead of energy to move forward together, okay? Conflict is inevitable in life and in church community. It's going to happen. You're going to disagree with someone else. Someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to make you mad. Someone's not going to smile back at you. Someone's not going to say hi to you. Someone's going to say something that, that makes you mad and upset. It's just part of the church community because we are a family. And in your own family, you have conflict. You make each other mad. You say things that are insensitive and, and things get heated. The church is a family, and so within a family, you're going to have conflict. But especially in this season of polarization, attacking, and aggression, I think it's important that we understand how to live as a peaceful Christian presence. What do we do if we have conflict with someone else? Or in this case, the faction was so strong that there was probably a chance of a split within the church. One group taking Euodia's side, while the other taking Sintika's side. And they had created these two groups of people that were at odds with one another, and the church was on the brink of probably splitting. Paul here says, I plead with you, Eodia. I plead with you, Sintika, to make things right with each other, to patch things up, to resolve the conflict, whatever it is between you guys. I plead with you. I implore, as some translations say, I beg of you to make things right, to mend whatever is broken between you guys. There's an urgency in Paul's language here. This conflict was causing pain to Paul because he loved this church so much. Listen to how Paul talks about the Philippian believers in verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Out of Paul's deep love and affection for this church, he's urging them to be of the same mind in the Lord. That means to be in harmony with one another. These two women worked side by side with Paul in the work of the ministry, but now they were at odds with each other. Now they were split. Now they didn't like each other. Now they didn't talk to each other. Now they gave each other the evil eye. Every time they were around each other, they just mean mugged each other. They were mad and angry and frustrated over something and it caused a break, a rift in the relationship. The devil wants to bring disunity, discord, and dysfunction to our ministry relationships. If you have unresolved conflict with someone in your life today, I urge you and I implore you to resolve it, especially if it's with someone in the church. Talk it out, hash it out, apologize, ask for forgiveness if you need to. Communicate to that person exactly why you're upset, hurt, and offended. As you resolve your issues, harmony and unity need to undergird it. Okay, When it comes to church conflict, we need to love Christ's church enough to pursue unity and harmony. Amen? 
then Paul gives us another key in verse 5 to resolving conflict. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all, and especially to unbelievers. When Paul would talk directly to the church, he would usually say brothers and sisters, but notice here, he said, let your gentleness be evident to all. Paul was talking about, let your gentleness not only be evident to the church, but let your gentleness be evident to those outside of the church. And the way you treat one another inside of the church will cause people outside of the church to be attracted to the Jesus inside of you. In a culture that is attack first, if there's something you say that I don't agree with, okay? We live in an attack first country, an attack first culture. If we say something that someone else doesn't agree with, in that culture, gentleness is absolutely necessary but countercultural. And there's no greater arena that we see this played out than on social media, right? Have you guys seen that meme going around that talks about how social media works? It goes like this. Me, I prefer mangoes to oranges, random person. So basically what you're saying is that you hate oranges. You also fail to mention pineapples, bananas, and grapefruits. Educate yourself. That's basically how social media works right now. You put something that you you have an opinion in, someone else disagrees with you, and then you start fighting. I think it's safe to say that we need an anointing of gentleness in our lives right now. Gentleness. Let me be clear. Gentleness does not mean weakness. It's more like the word meekness, which gentleness actually means power under control. But, you know, a lot of times when we think of the word gentleness, we think of pushover. We think of doormat. We think of weakness, but that's not what this word biblically means. A few years ago, Ticho, Michelle, uh, Priscilla, and myself, we went through a book together called Jesus, the Gentle Parent, and a lot of it was so good, but Ticho and I would start to laugh in parts of the book that would make gentleness when it came to parenting look like, you know, it called for us to be sissies and allowing our kids to walk all over us. And I know that was not the heart of the author or what the book meant, but I took it that way in some places. And so I want you to know gentleness here doesn't mean we're supposed to be a doormat in any way. It's using your power to respond in truth and love with graciousness. That's what gentleness means. It's using that power, corralling that power to respond in truth and love and with graciousness. One Bible commentary says this about the word gentleness in this verse. Gentleness refers to contentment with and generosity towards others. It can also refer to mercy or leniency toward the faults or failures of others. It can even refer to patience in someone who submits to injustice or mistreatment without retaliating. Did you hear that? It can even refer to patience in someone who submits to injustice or mistreatment without retaliating. Graciousness with humility encompasses all the above. Church, we need an impartation of gentleness in our lives, especially right now. Instead of fighting, attacking, and arguing the way the world does, can we try letting our gentleness be evident to all as Paul tells us to do? 
not a form of weakness, but corralling our power to be used righteously, to be used rightly, okay? It takes more power, it takes more strength to respond in gentleness than it does to just respond however we feel like responding, however, whatever emotions rise, we just respond that way. It takes more strength and power to respond in gentleness than it does that way. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The second joy killer that Paul talks about in this passage is anxiety. Anxiety. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Anxiety is so prevalent in our country, especially right now as we have been going through a pandemic since March. We've had so many things shut down, so much of normal life that's just completely upside down. We've been quarantined on lockdown, and then we've had racial unrest, protests, looting, rioting, all of these things happening. And I believe that this is a huge contributor to the anxiety that people are feeling right now. In fact, one in three Americans is dealing with symptoms of stress or anxiety right now, according to data from the U.S. Census Bureau and the National Center for Health Statistics. I believe that social media has caused a major increase in anxiety among people. We see the highlights of people's lives plastered on Instagram, and it creates anxiety in us because we're not there. We feel like we don't have that life, or we feel like we're not as beautiful as that person, or we're not as put together as that person, or we're not as wealthy as that person, or we don't get to take vacations like that person, or we don't have this fairy tale life like this person puts an image of on social media, and so it creates anxiety and stress and depression over us. Or we see someone's political opinion post on Facebook in which we completely disagree with, and anger and rage and anxiety rises up in us, and, and then we can't help but post something in response to them, and it starts a fight, and more anxiety comes up, and, and it's just a, a vicious cycle in our lives. In fact, unresolved conflict, joy killer number one, is a huge source of anxiety. And so these two joy killers are very much connected with one another. If anyone had a reason to be anxious, it was Paul, right? Uh, as we mentioned earlier, he was in prison with the reality of death constantly, day to day, hovering over him. He didn't know from day to day if he was going to end the day alive or he was going to die. In addition to that, he was trying to help resolve the conflict that was creating division within the Philippian church. And in addition to that, in the beginning of chapter 3, we see that people were coming into the church and teaching false doctrine and leading people astray. So he's dealing with the anxiety over the attacks coming against this church that he loves so dearly. The word anxious in verse 6 means pulled in different directions. It means being pulled in different directions. Another meaning of the word anxious here is to strangle. How many of you feel like anxiety is strangling the life out of you, where you feel like you can't breathe anymore, where you feel like you can't move anymore, where you feel like you're, you're paralyzed from the anxiety that you're feeling? Pastor John Piper says, anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something, 
accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. Maybe the prospects of being single your whole life is creating a deep sense of anxiety in you because you really want to be married and have a family. Maybe the prospect of you staying in your job for the rest of your career is creating anxiety in, inside of you because you, you, you want to be in another career. You thought you were going to be way further along in your career than you are right now, and it's creating so much anxiety inside of you. Paul, in verse 6, tells us to not be anxious about anything, but to pray about everything because prayer and alleviation of anxiety are completely connected with, with one another. They go hand in hand. And then he says this, once you do that, the peace of God, which transcends, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is so important in our battle against anxiety because prayer puts our problems into the hands of God. When we pray and we release that thing to God, we're taking our hands off of it and we're putting that thing into the hands of God for Him to work and will according to His good pleasure and purpose. When we fall into the illusion, and it is an illusion, that we can control all the outcomes of our lives, anxiety is inevitable because we're taking on a burden that we aren't designed or we were never created to handle, okay? When we pray, we should lay our burdens down at the feet of Jesus and allow him to carry those burdens. We stay connected to Jesus while he carries our burdens because Christ can carry all of our burdens. In fact, he carried all of the burden of sin on himself on the cross for us. And he says, Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you need to yoke yourself to Jesus today. Some of you need to let go of the burdens that you are carrying and hand them over to Jesus because he can carry those for you. It's our job to just stay connected to Jesus. Amen. Scholar and professor D.A. Carson says this, I have yet to meet a chronic worrier who enjoys an excellent prayer life. That is powerful right there. Amen. Listen to what Jesus says about anxiety in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting with verse number 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now let's jump down to verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The key to fighting anxiety is to place our life into the right hands. That's the key to getting a grip 
and freedom for our anxiety, putting our life into the right hands. Let me give you an example. Priscilla, can you come up here and help me with this example? This right here is a basketball. Okay, I love playing basketball, played in high school, uh, and I enjoy playing even now. It's a great workout and it's just fun. Now, if I put this basketball in Pastor Priscilla's hands, okay, she could probably make a couple shots if we went I down laugh to when you said that. <laughs> if we went down to Riverside Park to the basketball courts and and she got into a pickup game, she would be able to shoot it, not sure if it would go in or not. If she tried to dribble, she would probably get the ball stolen from her. She can only do so much with the ball. Okay? <laughs> okay. Now, if you put the ball in my hands and we go down to Riverside <laughs> Drive, I would fare maybe a little bit better. I could maybe make a couple shots. I could maybe get a couple rebounds. I'd maybe make a couple good passes. You know, I'm not the best compared to the competition down there at Riverside Drive. But You're I can. not the best compared to me. Okay, whatever. But I could probably <laughs> hold my own. But now, if I give this ball to, say, Steph Curry, now, once you give the ball to Steph Curry, this ball becomes something incredible. This ball starts to win NBA championship. This ball starts to win MVPs. This ball starts to go into the hoop at a crazy <laughs> high level. And I say that to say this, the hands in which the ball is in matters. And whose hands your life is in matters, okay? Whose hands your life in matters. If your life is in your hands, you can only take it so far. And of course, inevitably, right? You're going to have anxiety. You're going to have stress. You're going to carry burdens because you can't see the things God sees. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And as long as we try to do things in our own strength and try to put all of life's pressures, stresses, anxieties, problems, successes into our hands, we're going to crumble and we're going to fall apart. But when we give it to God, God can do so much more than we could ever think or hope for. Amen? So I hope that illustration helped. Anxiety is not only a joy killer, it can also make you self-absorbed. When you're consumed with just your own worries, you'll be less likely to serve others wholeheartedly because you're just consumed and thinking about yourself. Life becomes about what you're going through and you no longer have room for anybody else. If we looked at these two joy killers, unresolved conflict and anxiety, as an infectious disease or virus, the cure for this virus would be found in verses 8 and 9 of Philippians chapter 4. And it says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. All of these qualities that we just read, the, the noble, the true, the right, the pure, the lovely, and so on and so on, all of these qualities are found in Jesus. Amen? So in other words, we should fix our gaze, fix our eyes on Jesus, the fulfillment of all of these qualities that Paul is writing down. Our thought life is key to us experiencing joy. Our thought life is key to resolving conflict in a healthy way. Our thought life is key to us not living in anxiety. 
in order for us to grow spiritually, we must have renewed minds. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, our minds are renewed as we fill our thoughts with the word of God. In a clickbait world, it is so important that we meditate upon the true, the noble, the right, the just, the beautiful, the lovely, the admirable, the excellent, and praiseworthy things as Paul tells us to do here. The world tries to sell us on negativity, on fear, on disaster. Just listen to the news and you'll think the world is literally coming to an end every single day, right? Like another storm or an earthquake or something is about to just, or a comet is about to destroy our world for good. The news tries And you know what? We need to know bad things so that we can be warned about those things, right? But the news just tries to inundate us with fear because people are attracted to disaster, right? People are attracted to problems and they're attracted, sadly, to negativity. And so the news picks up on that and they need to sell uh, commercial spots. And so they exploit that part of us. They exploit that part of us. But because of this, We need to be intentional to focus our minds and attention on things that bring God glory. One translation of verse 8 says, to think on things that are of good report. Man, as I scroll through Facebook every day, it's like negative report after negative report after negative report. In order to focus and think on the good report, we have to be purposeful We have to be intentional and we have to work at it. We have to renew our minds with the word of God. We have to be in our prayer closet. We have to be spending time alone with God. We've got to be doing all of these things because there's so much negativity that our culture, that the enemy is trying to infiltrate our hearts with. And then Paul says to the Philippian church, if they'll focus their attention on these things and put into practice the things that Paul taught and imparted to them, that the God of peace will be with them. My hope, desire, and prayer is that the God of peace, the God of peace, the peace that transcends and surpasses all understanding, would guard your heart and your mind in this season of your life especially for those of you who are dealing today with any of the two joy killers that I talked about. If you have unresolved conflict in your life or if you have anxiety in your life, my desire is that you meet the God of peace and that you receive peace that surpasses human rationale and human understanding. As you give your burdens over to God, as you hand over your problems, as you hand over your issues to God, God is going to in turn, pour into your life contentment. He's going to pour into your life joy. He's going to pour into your life peace. He's going to pour into your life an abundance of joy that you never even thought or imagined that you could experience. He's going to bring health into your relationship. He's going to bring health into your mind. He's going to do these things as you follow His Word and you're obedient to Him and as you hand your life over to Him. Amen. Let's pray today. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. 
For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.